All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Glass Less Traveled uh, podcast. My name is Mike Verivi. I'm a certified bourbon steward and founder of the Fox Valley Whiskey Society. We're going to explore and introduce you to America's craft distilleries, microbreweries, industry insiders, and professional imbibers to give you the inside scoop on the things you need to be drinking. Uh, if you guys like what you're watching, don't forget to hit like and subscribe down below. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram at the Glass Less Traveled. Uh, and you can also become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash theglasslesstraveled. Uh, tonight, we're joined by some friends of ours at 93 Octane Brewing in St. Charles, Illinois. Uh, we've got with us Alex Mikowski, head brewer over at 93 Octane, and Nick Ford, sales manager. Uh, Nick is in the middle. Alex is over there on the right. Uh, gentlemen, welcome. I'm going to grab my... Thanks for having us. I'm going to grab my, my beer so I have something to drink. Yeah. Uh, I I actually have two two of your beers, so I'm I'm drinking the Running on Empty uh, right now, uh, and then I have the Joyride, which is uh, which is right behind me. Um, let's uh, let's get into the brewery. Tell us about 93 Octane, how it began, and what connection it has to the petroleum industry, because I think a lot of people might be curious about this. Yeah, so uh, the owner of 93 Octane, the fine financial backer 93 octane um, also owns uh the pride gas stations around the uh, chicago area um and uh, parent petroleum which is located also here in st charles um he uh he was a big craft beer enthusiast wanted to start a brewery we also have a built-in outlet with all with all of the pride gas stations uh for our beer okay so we were able to you know start a brewery, make beer, and automatically have placements for it, which is a huge, huge benefit. So the pride, so Parent Petroleum is kind of like the, the well, well, I guess for lack of a better term, we'll call it the parent company. But mm -hmm. the connection to BP, is it just kind of like coincidental or was or is there something? They are a supplier for, uh, for, for, okay. for BP. Okay. Which is probably um, which, which is where you guys. I mean, I've, everything at the. If you guys haven't been to the, uh, been over there to the brewery. Those of you guys watching or listening, uh, it's uh, right in. We're just outside of downtown Geneva, uh, right over just across from the Walgreens and I guess CVS over there, right on the uh, on the far west side of Geneva, uh, towards Randall Road. Um, everything there is like completely automotive themed. It's super super cool. All the beers have automotive uh, themed names. Uh, so really, really cool. But it was kind of inter interesting to me. And a lot of people were asking me when I was telling them when I was doing this with you guys are like, ask about the BP thing, because I'm pretty sure it's like all BP owned. I'm like, I, I don't know, man. We'll we'll figure it out. Yeah, it's not owned by BP. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I think what? if you're owned by BP, this place might be about 10 times the size. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Alex might have a little bit more room to brew. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's a definite. Yeah, yeah, we, um, we make do with what we have, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell us about the style of brewing at ninety three Octane. What what can we find in the tap room for those those of us that haven't been there yet? Um, we're brewing uh, seasonality, obviously automotive themes. Uh, we're dealing be, us being a new startup. I don't have hop contracts yet. I just came on the the team, uh, so we're a little behind the eight ball. Uh, as far as getting like the desirable sought after hops, but I have a few a few ideas for the brew house that I can manipulate. Uh, you know, innovations just to use the same you know the same palette everyone else is using, but get new flavors and um, interest, interest, interesting uh, brews. 
So, Alex, tell us about your experience in the beer industry because you you just came on uh, with 93 Octane. Um, yeah. Talk to us about your journey that ultimately led to you being where you're at now because you've been in the beer industry for quite a while. Yeah, since I was 21, uh, legally, we'll put it that way. Um, yeah, so I started out like a lot of brewers as a home brewer, but uh, I was only 19. I decided to buy my dad uh, homebrew kit for Father's Day, and that kind of dictated, you know, the past 10 years of my life. Uh, <laughs> so started homebrewing and got really into it. Um, and, I mean, probably early, like 10th batch maybe, I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this for a living. But being, you know, 18, 19 years old uh, in America, that wasn't going to fly. Um, <laughs> so went to school with Marquette for engineering. Uh, all the while in the back of my mind, knowing like, eh, I'm probably going to pursue craft brewing as a uh, as a profession. Um, so all the while, while being underage, all I did was homebrew and read about brewing and you know hone my craft before I can legally do it. Um, so I studied for the Cicerone exam uh, when I was 20, with the idea that right when I turned 21, I'm going to take the exam. And sure enough, uh, it was like two weeks after my 21st birthday, um, took the exam. I failed the written. You need an 80. You need an 80 to pass. I got like a 76. Oh. I passed the tasting and the, um, the practical. So so studying for it, there's um, the draft management system. Uh, and I've never poured a beer in my life. you know. So I had no idea what I was doing. I ended up calling a... Um, uh, a guy who cleans draft lines. So I said, hey, you know, I'm taking this exam. Could I follow you around for the day? So sure enough, he let me come. Uh, we went around to a couple bars and he showed me how draft system works. Um, and then right, from there, uh, turned 21 and then started put, like cold calling breweries in the area. And no one wanted to hire a 21 year old with no experience. Sure. Despite me, hey, all right, I got to be back. Really? I did end up passing the written exam like two months later, making me the youngest Cicerone in the world. And really? I thought, yeah, I thought that would give me a lot of credibility. <laughs> uh, I get a hold of Ray Daniels, the founder, saying, hey, Ray, you know, I'm only 21 and two months years old. Can you play, you know, promote me a little, help my career jumpstart? And he, I got back, he got, someone from the company got back to me saying, you know, it's not really, it doesn't shine good light on us that a 20 or one year old can pass this exam. <laughs> so I was, I was on my own, uh, but it was on the resume at this point. Uh, end up you know, getting turned down by a lot of breweries and then got a job at Finch's uh, in the city. And I don't know if you're aware of that Finch Brewing Company, but it was like a nursery for brewers. I mean, people would just come with like a rotating door you get yeah. some training, you put it on the resume, and you move on. You know, I know a lot of great brewers that are all over the country now that started off there. Um, but uh, So then I worked there for about eight months. I got hired at Two Brothers. Um, I worked there with Nick for the past – I was there for eight years, but um, – Six for me, yeah. <laughs> and, anywho, um, I started, uh, started in the packaging line, putting – six packs on cans for eight hours a day. My, my wrist sounds like a concrete mixer. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> worked my way up, uh, positioned the brew house open. I was, you know, put my head name in the hat. Uh, I was the night brewer. 
Um, all the while, I was studying for the, the master's to get into um, the World Brewing Academy, the Siebel Institutes, and I got accepted in um, uh, 2015. Uh, so the course it takes takes nine months. No, I'm sorry, eight months and four months. I'm in Chicago at uh, the Siebel Institute of Technology, and the other four I went to the Newman's Academy in Gravelfing uh, outside of Munich. So wow. I'm. I got yeah. I was trained by Germans, even though I was already already knew what I was kind of doing in a brew house. But yeah. I got the, the technical background from those guys. Um, got back from school. Uh, went back to the brothers. They we worked out a deal. It was a little, like a bit of a sabbatical. Uh, was brewing at the Roundhouse on their pub system. Did that for a couple of years, and then uh, I got promoted to head brewer, and I was doing that for the past three. Um, yeah, it's a big. Big difference, you know, turning out 30,000 barrels a year versus I don't know what we're hoping to do. The market will allow for us. Yeah. <laughs> it is it is kind of crazy. I uh, I was in there what a couple weeks ago to uh, to meet you, Alex, and and Nick, you've been you've been a part of the Fox Valley Whiskey Society for a little while, but we actually just met met in face to face for the first time a couple weeks ago. I was yeah. shocked at how small. I don't want to say small, just very tightly packed it, it is in there. Like everything's just like literally right on top of one another. I mean, it's it's crazy that you get you can do everything that you can do in such a small space. Yeah, they, yeah. they built the brewery from the ground up because there's no room right and left. It's from the ground up. It's all yeah, pretty much. Yeah. One tank and then uh, almost touch a barrel. Yeah. <laughs> It's vertical. Everything is vertical. Yeah, everything just everything just goes straight up. Yeah, which you um, know for Alex is is a pain, but he he does a pretty good job. So. <laughs> My legs, I, I'm gonna have some strong legs. Uh, about a you know a few months from now, going up and down ladders. Yeah, <laughs> start doing a bunch of squats, man. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> uh, you just recently uh, released a new beer, Alex. This was the first beer that you guys uh, that you released on your own uh, yeah. as Bad Brewer. Um, talk to us about running on empty um, and and kind of like what what you were going for when when brewing this beer. Um, quite honestly, I just didn't want to screw it up. You know, I I brewed a lot of beers on a lot of different systems, but every system's unique. Um, and I didn't. I just wanted to uh, use uh, as few variables as possible. Yeah, I worked with uh, some malt that I've always know, you know known how to manipulate. And then there's there's Citra, which everyone's favorite, and Centennial, the backbone. It, um, yeah, so pretty much uh, just a very light, easy drinking American pale ale, uh, just to dial in that system and see what you can do. I, I mean, I've, since being hired, I've done four batches already in you know 13 days, so we're we're hitting the ground running. Yeah. And you guys, you guys just had the 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 launch for this just this past Friday. What what was the what was the response of of the oh man beer gets me beer gets me every time it's going to start to come up on me um, yeah, what was the response of the of the of the customers that that came in I mean I mean was it was it like a glowing review because I'm I'm drinking it right now I literally just poured this one when we started this thing and it's it's tasty very yeah. very refreshing I wish it was a little bit warmer outside and I wish I was at my pool drinking this so last. This this last weekend and the weekend before were the two 
sales weekends we've had since reopening after COVID. Um, and I think a lot of that is because of bringing Alex on and just the industry in, in Chicago when it comes to the beer industry, everyone knows everyone. So yeah, heard that Alex is coming to 93 Octane and they're like, okay, we got to go try his beer. You know, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, people have been liking it. You know, we sold a lot of crawlers, um, a lot of people at the bar on Friday and Saturday night, even on yeah. Sunday, grabbing, grabbing drafts. So it's good. Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. And I, I was just there. Uh, I was just there earlier today. Uh, Alex, I got to talk to you for a little bit. Um, picked up my picked up my crawler. Your oil can? My, my oil can, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it, so the turnout was a lot. I mean, was the it was a lot of people in the craft industry. I mean, the, the craft beer industry, same with the craft distilling industry. I mean, everybody knows everybody. And it's really weird because... I was talking with, I want to say it was, uh, I want to say it was Steven over at uh, Brother Chimp over there in North Aurora. This was a couple months ago. He was one of my, yeah, it was one of the first episodes that I did. And um, he said, you know, the craft beer industry is kind of this really weird place because, yeah, we're all competing with one another. But at the same time, like, we're friends. We hang out. We all know each other. Like, we all want each other to succeed because we want beer to succeed. We want people to drink beer and we want people to drink good beer. Um, I'm sure it was really kind of awesome to see, you know, the, the community of, of, you know, craft brewers and, and people come together to, to try it. Um, it's, uh, so I, I, I asked you guys a little bit ago. So one of the questions that I have in here, so I sent everybody the questions before, beforehand, so you guys can kind of read into them. Um, I read an article uh, last week about how Brewer Supply Group, the company that ships barley, wheat, and rye to craft breweries all across the Midwest, would slip salted nut roll candy bars in their shipments as a token of appreciation. As a result, brewers across the Midwest have started calling the candy bar a brewer's lunch. Uh, Jagged Mountain uh, Craft Brewery in Denver released a milk stout meant to mimic this beloved candy bar last fall, which brought brewers from all across the Midwest to the brewery to try this one-of-a-kind beer. I love hearing about the influence brewers get when they come up with these ideas. What sorts of things influence uh, you, Alex, and what kind of things do you hope to do with this new system that you guys have there at uh, at 93 Octane? Uh, first off, have you ever had a Pearson salted nut roll? Uh, they're gross. No. I don't, I don't like I'm, I'm a payday guy. I like payday bars. Yeah. Salted nut roll is a ripoff. <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, it's a it's a big deal when you're when you you get a nut roll as a brewer, especially been, you, being the young guy and the the head brewer goes say, hey, go reach in that that big uh, pallet of grain. Like, why would I do that? There's a candy bar down there, so you just kind of like slither down, you know, reach for it. Um, yeah, I, uh, I I buy from BSG. I mean, they have great great malts um, and they carry a lot of Ireman products, but. Nut roll, you know, in the back of your mind, you always want to get a nut roll. <laughs> you're, you're always crossing your fingers. Little known fact: if your brewery gets big enough and you and you buy a nut grain, they give you like a five pound brick. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, that Christmas uh, yeah. presents. <laughs> what? So it, you, you know, you you've got you've got Jagged Mountain Craft Brewery in in Denver that's releasing this this uh, milk stout that's meant to kind of you know mimic that salt and nut roll you've got like energy city over from batavia that's looking you know taking fruit 
post-fermentation, you know, bananas and mangoes and all this, you know, they get inspiration from the time they spent in Paris and all that. What kind of things, I mean, 93 Octane is very much, from what I've seen so far, very, brews very traditional style beers, which was really kind of refreshing to see in today's day and age where it's like, you know, milkshake this and pastry stout that and let's just throw a bunch of adjuncts in there. What kinds of things influence you as a brewer, maybe like from your childhood or, or, or something that you got in the back of your head and you're like, man, I really want to brew a beer that reminds me of this or that has flavors of this? Um, that's interesting you say that because when you have uh, like a wild moment as a brewer and you taste your product and you have those like, this smells like my mother's cookies, you know, it, I mean, it's, I didn't add cookies to the, the beer, but there's like that underlying tone of like a very comforting smell. Um, I'm, I'm inspired. I mean, mainly seasonality. I always like to brew to the seasons. Um, I just got off the phone with our, uh, one of our hop suppliers to get some wet hops in for Harvest Ale. Uh, that should be, we should be brewing that around early September, uh, late August. Um, so my background is the brewers I worked at brewed pretty traditional old school beers, but I was also trained by German. So I know how to make German lagers. Uh, at the same time, I'm a craft beer nerd and I like, I like really happy beers. You know, I, I like fruited beers and I'm, I didn't really have that opportunity at my last, in my last shop. And I, I like, uh, I like the opportunity to uh, brew some fruited stuff uh, and then, max out as much hops as I possibly could put in a beer and get away with it. (laughs) Do you guys, I know you guys have a, um, I don't know if too soon. Can we talk about the stout that you guys have aging in? Oh no. Okay, good. Uh, You guys, you guys have the barrel age. Yeah. Can we, uh, can we, there it is. So you guys did a, uh, the old elk barrels that you guys have. That's actually from the barrel pick that you guys did. Yep. with Old Elk that you guys are selling in the liquor store right next door. Now mm-hmm. you're using those barrels to age your uh, your stout in. So it's kind of, you know, it's come full, full circle. Uh, I'm a bourbon guy. You guys know that. Uh, I love stouts. I love bourbon-aged stouts. Uh, when, when can we expect this one to be finished? Or is it kind of like, you know, it'll be ready when it's ready kind of thing? Uh, so... It was put into barrels, I believe, in part of them in December and part of them in January. So they're going on, you know, eight months. Um, we would like to do a one-year anniversary party, which our one-year anniversary would be Black Friday. That's when they did the, the real grand opening for the brewery. So we'd really like to do a release for Black Friday and then do a big barrel-aged beer release. There's a couple different beers in barrels right now. We've got our 20W50, which is our 10% Imperial Stout. Um, that's in one of the old elk barrels. We've got a, uh, a wheat wine, one of the barrels. You know, we're, we're excited for, for when those are ready. We're, we're actually thinking about doing a, a nail pulling next week and see how they're coming along. Oh, you've got, you've got my phone number. You know how to reach me. Uh, <laughs> uh, so everybody watching or listening, make sure to, uh, to follow 93 Octane Brewing uh, on either Facebook or Instagram. Uh, to to keep up with the updates because you guys do you guys do like Facebook events anytime you do like a anytime you do a launch so um, that's something that I would definitely be interested in coming to. Um, 
for those of you guys watching live, if you guys have any questions for Nick or Alex, uh, feel free to comment on YouTube or on Facebook. Uh, they'll pop up on the screen here. Uh, so if you guys have any questions for them, uh, just feel free to comment. Um, it's no surprise that the craft beer industry is, is hurting right now due to COVID-19 pandemic. A couple months ago, it was estimated by the American Brewers Association that as much as 50% of America's craft breweries could close permanently by August. Uh, we've seen many craft breweries close permanently as a result of COVID-19, but many more have been able to weather the storm. With breweries now able to allow patrons inside, they're able to get some of that lost revenue back. What has it been like for 93 Octane during the pandemic, and what sorts of strategies have you guys used to keep customers coming back? Oh, so the Wi-Fi, you guys watching out there, the Wi-Fi in uh, at 93 Octane is uh, is bouncing off of all of the stainless steel equipment uh, in the in in the brewery, and it's a little shoddy. We were having a little bit of trouble uh, uh, getting getting Nick and Alex connected. Uh, they're also working off of some uh, some older computers um, that uh, that were kind of I don't want to say hand me downs, but uh, um, or a little bit, a little bit older. Uh, so hopefully they'll, they'll come back here. Um, 93 Octane was one that I was actually recently introduced to actually by, by Nick, um, by Nick Ford, their, their sales manager. Um, it's something that I'd never had before. It's one of those places that I drive by all the time, you know, being a Fox Valley native, I drive by it all the time. So, um, it's one of those places that I was able to see. And there's Nick. Nick oh, sorry. Sorry. Don't worry, I kept going without you. I explained the Wi-Fi. Stainless steel and a lot of glass. Yeah. <laughs> doesn't bode well for Wi-Fi yeah. signals. <laughs> um, I was I was just talking about how, you know, with, with 93 Octane, it's one of those places that I've driven by, even the liquor store next door. You know, everybody drives by that BP gas station. It's on a very, it's on a relatively busy intersection. Mm -hmm. um, and it's one of those places that I just kind of drove by time and time again and when I, I it, you don't even bother to look to see that there's actually a, a brewery there. Um, you know that I'm a bourbon guy. I'm not really much of a beer guy. I'm getting into beer a little bit more. Um, I was just telling people, I mean, this is, this is one, actually this one, the Joyride, that one. Yeah, that's what I'm drinking. And I was actually drinking this. So we were actually on last week with um, Rooster Beers in Vietnam. I and watched that episode. Yeah, this is what I was drinking while I was talking to to Don out there uh, out there in Vietnam. Um, so I while Alex just going to join me over here, by the way. Yeah, that's fine. It's probably, <laughs> it's probably better to have only one computer connected to the Wi-Fi, so they're not fighting over each other. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us how. I mean, you you guys have you guys. When did you guys open? Um. So Black Friday. Okay, so Black Friday last year. So you guys have had a little bit of a trial run to kind of figure out what you're doing. What is what was the what was COVID nineteen? I mean, what was that like for you guys being a relatively new brewery? I mean, that's got to be a you know kind of a punch in the gut. Oh yeah. So we were open what maybe three months, really, before COVID hit. Four months. Yeah. Sorry, we're getting. Resituated with one. That's, right. <laughs> that's usually how. You know, there's always there's always something that goes wrong, and we figure we we figure it out yeah. along the way. Right. Um, so <laughs> it, it, it's not easy. Um, 
I think having the pride locations is really what has kept us afloat, kept us in the game with everyone else. Um, having those 12 locations that, you know, gasoline was essential. You know, gas stations was essential during all of this. So they stayed open the whole time. So we always had an outlet for our beers, you know, ever since COVID started. Uh, and that's really been beneficial, especially with being able to still come out with new beers during that time when a lot of people just stopped brewing altogether. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and we were a little late to the game getting on the, uh, the whole curbside carryout and everything like that, but we got it set up last month and we've seen good, good revenue out of that, which is helping. Uh, yeah. Um, we're setting up an online store right now with uh, with uh, online delivery too, so we're getting delivery going. So oh, right. you know, if God forbid this happens again in a couple of months where everything's down, at least we'll have we'll be a little bit yeah. better prepared. Yeah. Well, you have the liquor store next door, and now you guys have the tap room that's that's able to at least be open in some capacity uh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I mean, it's you know, it's got to be exciting that there's you know something, something better on the horizon. Even though it seems like every day in the in the news we're hearing, oh well, we have to you know we have to shut down again, or we have to do this again, or you know, it it's always seems like we're going back to square one. So it's uh, it's it's promising to see that that new businesses are at least still opening and you know and and, and adapting to the change. Yeah, um, we've seen a few breweries open just in the last couple months which is amazing well you've got art history that that just opened up uh just right down the street from you guys uh yeah, I was talking with tom the other day we've got one of his beers on as a guest draft right now oh nice i have yet to actually go there and, and actually I, I talked to tom so i work at a um you guys know where i work i come in with the with the blue shirt all the time i work at a large home improvement retailer um and i actually help tom with uh, with a lot of the stuff to get the brewery built uh first time i walked in there it was like walking into a honest to god it was like walking onto a spaceship it was just crazy to see everything yeah stainless steel copper like wires and cables and just like i don't know there might have been like a teleporter in the back room i don't who knows who knows um nielsen uh craft beer insight poll shows that between march 7th and july 4th which covers the COVID 19 period in the u.s Dollar sales of off-premise beers have increased almost 20%. Do you think COVID-19 has changed the way craft beer drinkers buy beer? And specifically, do you think more macro beer drinkers, the ones who drink Coors, Budweiser, Miller, etc., do you think those people have moved to drinking more craft beer since COVID, since the coronavirus pandemic has started? You want to feel this one? You want me to feel uh, this? I think opinion, yeah, we probably both have an opinion on this. Yeah. <laughs> well, based on yeah, with the virus being said, uh, I think the trend leading up to it was like super hyper local craft breweries that I'm not going to go buy, you know, a Sierra Nevada at the liquor store line, go right down the block and get a super fresh pale ale. Now, with that being said, once the virus happened, I know working at Two Brothers, our draft sales just disappeared. So 30%, 35% of that business is out is done. But our bulk, or <clears throat> sorry, large, large format, like 12 packs, we can't keep them on, they couldn't keep them on the shelf. Because uh, someone's going to go to a grocery store, direct buy their groceries, and then buy 12 beers. So where the regional breweries were hurting 
leading into this are now thriving uh, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, that is probably negatively affecting a lot of the small breweries at the time, especially the ones that didn't have curbside set up right away because people weren't making more than one stop when they were going out. They were trying to live in contact as much as possible. So they were just grabbing whatever was available at the grocery store, which, you know, 85% of shelf space at large chain grocery stores, even, you know, like Vinny's is, is still macro. It's still Pfizer, it's still Coors and Miller. You know, it's always going to be a struggle against those guys. But, you know, I think, I think in general, every year we're chipping away at it as craft beer in general is chipping yeah. at the big guys and hopefully that trend continues. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I, I started doing this whole thing because I really wanted to start, you know, keeping everything kind of more local and supporting the, the craft industry, you know, guys like guys like Miller and Anheuser, they, they don't need my money. They're they'll, they'll be okay without, without my dollars, you know, same with, you know, the spilling industry, Buffalo Trace and Heaven Hill, they'll, they'll be okay with, without me, you know, so for, for us to, you know, to kind of come together and rally, you know, around the craft brewery scene and the, the craft distilling scene, uh, you know, I know it meant a lot to, uh, you know, to the breweries and, and, and the distillers out there. Um, last, last week, a a brewery that will remain nameless uh, posted on one of the Chicago craft beer uh, Facebook pages that they are available to sell beer to people who actually like and I quote beer that tastes like beer uh, as a jab to other breweries who brew and I quote again orange juice beers um, uh, what was it orange juice beers candy bar beers and God knows what else and that was that was the the end quote. With 8,000 plus craft breweries in the United States, it's hard to differentiate yourself from one another unless you step outside the box and experiment. And in fact, that's what today's craft beer drinker uh, wants. Let's face it, brewing an IPA with Citra or Galaxy or Mosaic Hop isn't necessarily setting anybody else, you know, anyone apart from, from another craft brewery. Do you think these breweries that only brew traditional styles of beer will fall by the way, wayside if they don't adapt to a new growing market of craft beer drinker that wants new, exciting beer styles and all these adjuncts and all this stuff in their beer? Or do you think that there's still a place for those more traditional style brewers? Um, I like to think both both sides of that coin are true. Um, yeah. I like brewing traditional beers. I don't have too much experience with uh, the super fruited uh, beers yet. I'm looking forward to you know giving a few matches of that a go. I certainly like drinking them. Uh, I'm concerned for shelf stability, but we can cross that bridge when we get to it. Yeah, <laughs> some sort of uh, disclaimer on the cans. <laughs> yeah, re refrigerate immediately. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um. What was uh? What else was there? Oh, um. Sorry. With uh, as far as I mentioned earlier, you know, most brewers have the same same palette to paint with. Um, I've been developing a few processes over the past five years to manipulate the brew house. To use the same ingredients other people are using. Uh, I don't want to. I'll, 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 for example, uh, Whirlpool. Uh, most brewers just dump a bunch of hops in a Whirlpool, let it spin, and then send it to the fermenter. Uh, you're missing a lot of opportunities to extract different flavors um, with different timings and temperatures. Uh, this process has been working out for a long time, and now that I have a brew house for myself, 
I'm looking forward to you know experimenting with it, doing getting some turns with it. Yeah. What what kinds of things? I mean, so you know, I I come from I come from more of like the distilling side of things. You know, I know I know a lot about you know the the, the distillation of bourbon. For the bourbon world, you get a lot of those people kind of on the other side of the coin that I'm on, where I can differentiate A, B, C, and D out of all these different bourbons and, and scotches and whiskeys. But if I have an IPA on Monday, if I have another IPA on Tuesday and another one on Wednesday, I couldn't tell the difference between any of them. Back to back, I could, but from like day to day, I, I couldn't. When it comes to brewing, in distillation specifically, you can do a lot with like yeast strain. You can do a lot with like obviously your mash bill. Are there different variables that you could be using that maybe some people are just like, eh, we don't want to do that. We're just going to keep it as traditional as possible. Can you can you kind of like tinker with the science a little bit to come up with something like just really crazy off the wall but still is like, holy shit, man, this is actually pretty good. Uh, yeah, there's there's a million variables you can work with and tweak. Um, like I mentioned earlier with the whirlpool, uh, there's a lot of guys that, talking about this process, but not too many people actually putting forth the effort and figuring out how to dial in their whirlpool and how to extract as much flavor as possible while making a beer that's less bitter. So I think I have a going theory that you know, 10 years ago, you drink an IPA and it was really bitter, but it was also floral and you know, tasted and tasted happy and smelled happy. And they accepted the bitterness because you assume it was bitter, if it smelled happy, it'd be bitter. Nowadays, I don't think people, people don't want the bitterness, but they still want you know, the aroma and flavor. And so being able to manipulate your whirlpool in such a manner allows you to brew very hot forward beers with very little bitterness. I'm I I'm really curious to see like I'm I'm super excited about you know you guys being a, a newer brewery especially being one in the Fox Valley um, super super excited to see what you guys uh, you know Alex you come up with here in the future um, it's it's going to be really interesting to see what you can come up with in such a such a tight space um, you know the kind of is just not something that that anybody else is doing which kind of leads me into my next question. In an area with so many breweries like Penrose, Riverlands, Alter, DNG, uh, Art History, Two Brothers, Solomon, Pollyanna, et cetera, et cetera, what sets 93 Octane apart from the rest? What's, bring, what's bringing our viewers into the door? Like, like, oh man, I have to go try that. Well, I think one of the biggest ones is having these built in outlets for our beer army. I mean, we. Yeah, you know, we have these the pride uh, convenience stores, you know, family-owned convenience stores that are spread all over Chicagoland area. That you know, we're we're hitting a market that typically doesn't purchase craft beer. You know, most people that go to a a convenience store or a gas station aren't going to buy a, a you know a twelve-dollar four-pack of beer. Sure. You know, they're going to pick up you know a, a twelve-pack of, of Bud Light. You know, yeah. case of True. You know, but, you know, like Natter Days or something, which yeah, or yeah, exactly. But having these outlets and, and having those beers right out front for people when they enter, I think it is allowing us to tap into a, a market that hasn't really been tapped. Yeah, and I think that's huge for us. 
and once that happens, that, that person who doesn't only buy the craft beer tastes our products, they're going to come come back uh, to the actual brewery. Yep. Uh, I, I've noticed that with, you know, and I know you guys are probably a part of the same groups on Facebook. A lot of the ones that you recognition are, you know, these guys that are just dumping a whole bunch of stuff into, you know, a whole bunch of adjuncts into their, into their, into their beer. Um, I told you guys, I talked with Steven Newman over at our um, brother Tim Brewing a, a couple months ago, and he's the same way where it's, it's very much kind of like that traditional style of beer. And it's really, really kind of refreshing to kind of see that, you know, it, to see the evolution of of the craft beer industry and, and what's popular and what's not, it seems to like just from month to month, it just changes wildly. I have been telling everybody about Joyride because I absolutely love it. It's really kind of unlike anything that I've had before because like the blood orange is like right there, but it's not like one of those thick, milkshaky kind of beers, you know what I mean? So it's, it's nice to kind of, you know, have that right in our, right in our backyard. Um, Andrew Meyer wants to know, how do you decide on how much to experiment versus keeping a beer year-round consistently the same? So that's, that's difficult. That's a balance that I think every, every brewery struggles with nationwide, I'm sure. Um, you know, you, you have to follow the trends somewhat because, you know, that's what you see people buying. You know, you're not going to make something that isn't going to sell, otherwise you go out of business. You know, right. You know, you know, so say what we like to do is maybe one out of every three beers is a packaged product that, you know, everyone in the market wants. And then maybe the other two beers are one-offs that, you know, Alex wants to brew. You know, something that strikes his interest and that he can experiment on. You know, and one might be a traditional beer, like a like a lager or like like running on empty, a pale ale. You know, something, you know, pale ales, I think, are going to be the next hazy IPA. <laughs> and now we don't have a flagship. Uh, I'm working to make a flagship because I, I still believe in them. Uh, I want something to keep the lights on, something that we're known for. Yeah. The, the running on empty could, could be it. It also could be, the, and and I still have. I feel like I have to like go there and actually like sit down and call an Uber and like you know drink drink all the beers and like do a do a flight of everything. The two the two that I've had the uh, the running on empty and and the joyride. Um, those are I, those those could keep the lights on for sure because it's a change of pace from like what you see. And no, you know, not to jab at anybody like you know Energy City or or Penrose that's doing crazy crazy stuff with like you know, Sours and, and Energy City that's, you know, just dumping a bunch of fruit into it. They're really good beers, but it's really nice to see that, you know, it's, there's still people that are like, we're just making traditional beers. Like these are, you know, beers for beer drinkers. They still got some really cool stuff in it. We're still doing some really neat stuff with, you know, with, with brewing, you know, we're, we're here. Um, so it'll be, like I said, it'll be, it'll be really interesting to see what, uh, what you come up with here in, in the, in the near future, Alex. Um, one of the things that I have yet to talk about on one of these uh, episodes, especially with uh, with the breweries that we do that we do, uh, is a very very heated and very much so talked about topic in the craft beer industry, and that is a little app that we like to call Untapped. 
Uh, love it or hate it, Untapped is a great way to keep track of the beers you have tried in a sea of beer. It would be virtually impossible for someone who has 5,000 plus unique check-ins to remember a specific beer from three years ago. So in that sense, it's a great tool uh, to use to kind of track everything. Some hate it because they think it's only used as a rating app to see what other people think before they buy. Some use it for reviews, some use it as a tracking app, but regardless of what you use it for, the beer community is split. And I just want to know, what are your thoughts on Uncapped? Go ahead. <laughs> I think we have different views. Um, I use Untapped. He doesn't use Untapped. <laughs> I, I also, some people I tell me a lot when it comes to uh, apps and uh, phone technology. Anywho, uh, no, I don't use it. Um, I don't, I wouldn't, like a chef doesn't read Yelp. A brewers, I know brewers who have untapped and they just used to keep track of beers. But at the end of the day, if you brew a beer, you're probably going to want to look what people have to say about it. And I know I'm, I've been curious when he enters a beer, I'm like, oh, what, what do people think about that? You know, we have a running joke that I, I will never give a beer a five, pretty much, you know, a full, a full five. Yeah. Even yeah. Like, I would, I, you know, I don't think I've given a 93 octave beer a five. <laughs> but, but, they're weighted, they're weighted averages, so it gets rid of those outliers, you know, where you've got people that give it a one or you give it a, you know, a five. It, it takes the middle grouping. It takes the median, um, which I think it, it, it helps people looking for new beers. That's basically what it is. You see, it's a social aspect. You see other people checking something in, and it helps bring other people into your group. There's so many like underlying problems with that though. Maybe we've had before. No one's like being a brewer in a barrier. The first thing I see their beer, the first thing I do is check the the best buy date. Mm -hmm. I don't know a lot of consumers that do that. And you're gonna write a beer that's been sitting on a, the shelf for six months. It's not the same as the beer that's been one week old. Exactly. Right. With that being said, I also, you know, if if someone, Nick knows I'm my biggest critic and I don't need other people say like, I don't need to read what other people say about my beer. Cause honestly, I want to think much less of it than uh, somebody that's uh, <laughs> it's, it's true. He, he's, he tells me all the time he's never made a good beer. No, I think <laughs> at, the, at my old shop, we made a batch of, it was Domain page, and it was right before GABF, Great American Beer Festival. And we're tasting out the tanks. And I remember this batch, and like we went through it in RPO. It was like a great brew day. Uh, I'm tasting it out with the, the QAQC team. I'm like, this is going to win a medal. And then, sure enough, we go out to Denver, uh, and yeah, we win silver uh, with that beer. So, yes, I do make good beers. It's just. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, sometimes See, I, I got to steer him towards the light of his own beers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, man, they're good. Yeah. He was asking me about, like, giving them flavor profiles for running on empty. And I just started smelling and tasting, just, like, listing the flaws. I was like, no, no, I can't sell a beer with that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, no, no, that's not going to work. Tell me what's good about it. <laughs> yeah, just tell, just tell everybody it's great. See, yeah. I, I use Untap, like, I don't have, like, a whole, a whole lot of check-ins. Um, but I use it for more of, like, what have I had before? if I don't remember what I've had before. Because a lot of times you're you're not just having just the one. 
you're having like multiple and craft breweries are notorious for high higher alcohol content you know six seven eight ten percent plus beers so you have a couple of those and you're like i don't remember if i had that or not and i don't remember if i liked it or not so i i use it i use it for that i'm more of like oh hey i've had it before um, but some people get really really heated about it and they hate it totally and i was just curious because it's it's funny because it's mostly brewers that i've encountered that are like no i don't like it it has its time and place, and yeah, I understand why people use it. Uh, just it's not for me. And like with you, uh, with that being said, uh, you, you've been to bottle shares before, right? No. Then, yeah, you got you know thirty beers out there, and you got one guy not talking to anybody, snapping a photo of everything down the line. You know, it's meant to be enjoyed, not to be right. So I've got, uh, I've, I've actually got two more questions. Uh, you guys, if uh, anybody watching out there, if anybody, uh, again, has any questions for, uh, for Alex or Nick, feel free to comment whether on Facebook or on YouTube. Uh, and we'll post the question to the screen so they can answer it. Um, this next one is a very, very simple question, but questions aren't just uh, one-sentence uh, questions. There's always something that leads up to it. Uh, craft beer was on a tear in the early part of the decade, growing by double digits year over year. In 2014, the Brewers Association set an ambitious goal for craft beer to hold 20% of the overall beer market here by 2020. As growth slowed in the mid to latter half of the decade, the Brewers Association had to walk back that goal, calling it, a, and I quote, a long shot. It was a bit embarrassing for the Brewers Association to admit it had overestimated craft beer's boom years. But sustained growth in the past few years shows that while the explosive growth has cooled, craft breweries aren't going away, even with COVID shutting many craft breweries uh, across the country down. In 2019, there were a... 8,386 craft breweries in the United States, according to the Brewers Association, with each one of these breweries carrying, on average, about seven beers uh, on tap. That's over 58,700 different beers in just the craft industry in the United States. Some of us on Untapped have a long way to go, uh, no doubt. This begs the question, is it too much? Is the market so saturated that the bubble must burst, and we're gonna have we're gonna start seeing breweries close regardless of COVID or not? Yeah, I think in a in a, in a way it may have already burst. I think yeah, you know, we've already. I mean, COVID might just accelerate. You know, I, I don't even when we saw you know the housing market uh, bubble burst in you know two thousand nine or two thousand whatever it was, you know, it took a couple of years to really set in and to see how much damage it really caused, you know, how, how, how many people you know, went bankrupt and lost their 401ks and so forth. I think it's, it might be the same way with, with the craft beer industry. You know, if that bubble has burst, it might be a couple of years before we really see those numbers start to decline. Sure. Um, with that, with yeah, that all that doom and gloom, uh, <laughs> great industry to work in. And as you, you mentioned in the past, that like I, we all know everybody, and we're just a family supporting one another. Absolutely. Uh, if I'm on a, you know, if I have a brew day and I 
ran out of hop or forgot to order hops. Yeah, I can call up so and so and like, hey, do you got this? I'll drive down, pick it up, and next time I get an order, I'll just drop off the hops to him. Yep. Yeah. Uh, we've got yeast from Riverlands when we've been in a pinch. You know, we've got yeast from Tom at a at a, a Penrose when we've been in a pinch. You know, it's yeah. it, especially localized. It is everyone helping each other. Yeah. And yeah, I do believe the bubble has burst, uh, unfortunately. But us being innovative and creative and coming out with you know, damn good beer, I, I believe we're gonna we're gonna ride this right out the uh, the wave. Yep. We, we hope we have enough ex experience and know how to really weather the storm. You know. I, I think I think there's enough people out there. You know, you look at social media forums and, you know, Facebook or, you know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, and you see all these pictures that people post and you see the interest that the craft beer industry has. You know, you had mentioned that, you know, during this whole shutdown that people don't want to go to more than one place. So they'll go to one brewery, get what they need. I've seen people on the adverse side of that who are like, I'm going to hit up this brewery, this brewery. I'm going to go to this distillery, this liquor store. I'm going to go here, here and here. It seems to me like the bubble had to have burst a long time ago, but it almost didn't. It just kept growing and growing and growing. Um, yeah, with COVID, everything is obviously shut down, and there's been you know breweries and restaurants and places that are like, you know, we just can't sustain it anymore. Um, but you guys, you know, are a perfect example. You guys started three months before this whole thing hit, and you're still here, you know. So it's it's very promising to see. You know, it's it's a promising thing to see, especially in the craft industry, that uh, that you guys, like you said, Alex, you guys make damn good beer, and people are gonna, you know, they're gonna come by because they, you know, they want to support local. So, uh, I'm all for it. I, I I think it's gonna just keep going and going and going, and you know, we're gonna see we're gonna see beers that, you know, some people might find disgusting, like myself with uh, anything that has chili in it. I had a chili beer the other day, and it was gross. Hated every bit of it. I didn't, I don't a, know. It takes a certain palate to like yeah, I took one sip of it and I was like, this is terrible. I don't want any more of it. Um, so this is a good, good question. And this is actually a question that I've had also. So Andrew Meyer asked again, he said, we always see hop variety on packaging. How does the yeast influence the taste of beer? Uh, it's a massive influence. Uh, one that's normally uh, just overlooked. Uh, so certainly uh, the, the most ubiquitous strain is the Cal Ale, White Lab 001, um, the Chico strain. So it's what Sierra Nevada, uh, their pale ale is made from. I'd say, you know, 90% of the beers, the American craft beers are made with that strain. Um, but with that, you can manipulate that strain with temperature, cell counts, um, Pitching rates. These are all things that on a larger regional and uh, brewer size can can do. Uh, I'm working on getting a lab here so I can do my own cell counts and really dial in my my yeast. Um, there's there's varieties. You know, uh, there's the Bellers at least you know 20 Belgian strains that all produce different esters, and phenols. The German lager strains. Um, you know, super. Uh, clean, dry finishing um, yeast strains. There's, uh, last I saw, White Labs had over 150 available. Yeah, you, got, 
or saison strains, you know, where you could either get, you know, clove characteristics out of it, or super dryness out of it. Like there's some weird stuff out there that you can do interesting things. But then I think we, we have to mention the hazies as that, <laughs> that it, you know, it can be done with that, that California strain I was mentioning. Um, but there's a, the London or the English ale strains uh, for like um, Fuller's Porter that had never uh, had any intentions of becoming a super dry hopped, uh, you know, New England pale ale. That's the strain the guys are using. Um, it's low flocculating, so the yeast doesn't want to drop out of solution. And because of that, there's some biotransformation that happens where the hop oils can bind to it. Um, so, you know, the, the haze in appearance, it, yes, it's hazy, but it's flavorful because of the haze. Well, you know, Four Roses, you know, in, in, in the bourbon industry, Four Roses is kind of famous for, you know, their, their yeast strains and using different yeast strains with different mash bills to create all these different flavors. Um, I'm very unfamiliar with the brewing industry kind of just in general, which is really why I do what I do because I want to learn more about it. Has using different yeast strains with the, you know, say you did, you know, say you did the joyride with a different yeast strain, would it change so much that you're like, oh, well, this is a totally new beer. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, there's. Yeah. There's, there's your innovation right there. You got you. So it sounds like you got you've got a lot of work to do, Alex. There's there's a, there's a lot there's a lot to play around with. A lot of ingredients in the kitchen. Yeah, I think, I think we brought on the right guy though, who has the knowledge to do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Uh, so I've got one last question. There's always one question that uh, uh, that I don't send. Uh, I want there to be some kind of element of surprise. Uh, and usually during this spiel is when the interviewees are like, oh, God, what is he going to ask? Um, not including 93 Octane or any other brewery that you've worked at in the past. Uh, what are you guys typically drinking on an average night? Um, we'll say Miller High Life because everybody says, I feel like Miller High Life is like the one that everybody's like, yep, that's the one I'm drinking. Um, so... Uh, I'm not even embarrassed about this. I drink a lot of PBR. That's like a it's a staple in my fridge. So. Yep. Um, it's you know get done cutting the grass. I don't quite want something happy, and I'm thirsty. I have a I have a cold blue. Yeah, we've got we've got a corn lager in the process that we're putting for us. It's in the works. Uh, I'm drinking. You know, I drink a lot of uh, Daisy Cutters uh, from Athens. Yep. Uh, yeah, yeah. I still, I still drink a good amount of Sierra Nevada. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We drink a good amount of pale. I mean, it's definitely changed. You know, it's not the same pale it was ten years ago, but it's still a damn good beer. Too hearted. Yeah, too hearted from yeah. Oh yeah, from yeah, yeah, yeah. Great fucking beer. I'm sorry. Excuse my language. <laughs> oh, no worries, no worries. As long as you guys aren't drinking, uh, drinking truly, uh, that's uh, that's really that's really all that matters. <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, I, I went I went through a phase as well. <laughs> All right, so I, I, I'm from like a, a guy who makes alcohol. It's a phenomenon, and I never really understood. And then my girlfriend come like early summer, is like, oh, this is what I drink in the uh, in the summer. So I started sampling them. Uh, but I also drink a lot of LaCroix. So it now, it naturally, this ain't too bad. Um... For the past couple of months, we've been buying like a new 12 pack and just seeing what we like. 
That reminds me, my wife asked me to pick up one on the way home. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> if, at this point, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Corona fan. Uh, but, <laughs> I, I think I think in 2020 you almost have to be. Yeah. <laughs> I still drink, you know, I still drink porters and stouts year round too. Oh, know? I do too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Even I porter all the time. Yeah. Still one of my favorite beers. We uh we do a few friends of mine, uh, we go up to uh, uh my buddy has a lake house up in Wisconsin in Partyville, Wisconsin. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with Wisconsin, it's about 40 minutes north of Madison. It's P-A-R-D-E-E-Ville, Pardeeville. Uh, just a little little town uh, right on Park Lake, uh, and we do a beer share every time we go up there. It's a bunch of beer guys, and I'm the I'm the one bourbon guy. And every single time, it's almost exclusively stouts, and they're hot summer days and they're hot summer nights, and yep. no matter it doesn't matter the temperature. I'm I'm a stout guy through and through. Um. Yeah. I'm still working on getting my wife to move from, you know, from originally it was Miller Lite, and then I got her onto Pale Ales, and then Hoppy IPAs, and then Double IPAs, and then now Hazy IPAs. I'm still working on the Stouts and Porters. My wife jumped straight, she jumped straight to Stouts. She was like, this is what I like. This is what I'm going to drink. A coffee drinker? Like, every time we go somewhere, it's like, oh, well, we have to try this Stout. Is she a big coffee drinker? Um. Yeah. Yes, so I look, I'm, I'm looking down. Like she's like, she's laying on the floor next to me. <laughs> a lot of people that drink coffee, it's an easy transition for them. But people, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. That dark coffee, the dark coffee notes, and the chocolatey, and it's. I I just I used to not like them at all. I used to not like stouts, especially barrel aged stouts. Um, and now that I started getting more into bourbon, I'm like, that's that's my drink right there. Is is those barrel aged stout. So I'm really excited for Black uh, the the stout that you guys are the barrel aged stout that you guys are going to be coming out with. Um, I think the the best thing to do there for those of you who are watching and listening is to get a uh, old elk barrel pick and yep. get the stout and then buy them together so you have the whole the whole family and you can try them side by side to to see the influence. Uh, that people when when you when they drink you know a bourbon that's aged in a sherry cask or in a Madeira cask. Do both side by side, and then you can you can you can definitely tell which which is which, um, and, and what flavors influence the bourbon. Yep. Um, we are we are up on the hour. Uh, I want to thank Nick and Alex for joining me tonight for a round of Q and A and a couple of beers. Uh, you can find ninety three octane at their brewery at eighteen twenty five Lincoln Highway in St Charles, uh, and on social media at ninety three octane brewery. Uh, I posted their website ninety three octanebrewery uh, in the comments here on YouTube. Uh, Nick, Alex, do you guys have anything before we uh, get out of here and have another beer? Uh, you know, thanks for supporting local. That's really the biggest thing for us. Is, you know, we, we wouldn't be able to do what we do without all of you guys keeping us going. Yeah. So really huge for us. Thank you, everyone, for supporting us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the good conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, everybody make sure to go check out 93 Octane, especially those in the Fox Valley. Uh, I myself recommend the Joyride. I've been talking about it all night. I've got it right over my shoulder right here. Um, thanks to everybody who tunes in and watches live each week and listens to us on the go on the Glassless Travel Podcast. Make sure to check back next week as we sit down with Spirit Works Distillery out of Sonoma County, California, who just won the American Distilling Institute's Distillery of the Year for 2020. 
Uh, we'll sit down with Jeff Schwartz again in a couple weeks. Uh, the Whiskey Fellow will be sampling some Red Breast 12 uh, with a special guest. Uh, and on the 19th, we'll be sitting down with author and writer uh, Sam Nash Green, uh, who literally wrote the book on whiskey. Uh, thanks for everybody tuning in. Uh, you two stick around for a little bit, uh, and we will see you next week. Cheers, everybody. Cheers. Cheers.